0: Psalm 92. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit. In old age, they are ever full of sap and green, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. You have said to us, O Lord, listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So help us now, O Lord. Help us to listen diligently to your word and have ears to hear what you have to say to us, that we may delight ourselves in your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As I was preparing uh, the message this week, there was a song lyric that uh, I first heard more than 20 years ago that came into my head and wouldn't leave. I'm sure that's probably happened to you a few times. Um, I usually don't begin my sermon with those types of songs that come into my head here and, here and again, but, but, but not this time. Today, I wanted to share that song. The, the song is by a Christian rock band called Bleach, and the lyric goes like this. Once again... Here we are, here we are, once again. There's more to the song than that, but that's the lyric that kept coming and haunting my mind. Once again, here we are, here we are, once again. That song lyric came to my mind because Psalm 92 is about gathering together to worship on the Sabbath. Look at that inscription at the beginning of the psalm. It is labeled a song for the Sabbath. Or for Christians like us, we could say a song for the Lord's Day. Going to church on Sundays is something that I have done every single Sunday for my entire life with just a few exceptions. And for the last eight years now, this is where I am every Sunday morning. And most of you have been here with me, as you have each Sunday morning for most of your lives. So once again, here we are, here we are, once again. But why do we do it? Why did God's people show up to worship on the Sabbath prior to the Lord's coming every week? And, and, and now since the Lord's ascension, why have believers continued to Uh, participate in this weekly tradition of meeting together to praise the Lord and offer him our praises and our thanksgivings. Well, Psalm 92 is written not just to provide God's people with a song to sing when they gathered for worship on the Sabbath, but it also provides us with reasons why we must gather, why it is good for us to gather, why it is essential for God's people to gather together to worship each week. This is a psalm to remind us and to encourage us to show up. It tells us that it is good for us. It tells us that it is for our joy. It says that it is essential for our spiritual survival. We must regularly come together each week and worship together for our faith to survive in the midst of such a godless and wicked society. John Calvin, the great reformer and theologian of the church, uh, wrote in the 16th century about the importance of refraining from work on the Sabbath in order to gather together to worship the Lord. He said this, he said, The Christian Sabbath is our separating ourselves from all other occupations to engage in meditating upon the divine works. As our minds are unstable, we are apt when exposed to various distractions, to wander from God. We need to be disentangled from all cares if we would seriously apply ourselves to the praises of God. I love that line, and as usual, Calvin is very insightful here for us. We are prone to distractions. And we are anxious about many different things. If we didn't have this weekly routine, this weekly rhythm of separating ourselves from all other occupations and showing up here to meditate on God and His works, then we would just wander away from Him. Just forget about Him. Now, maybe you aren't able to disentangle yourself from all cares, like Calvin mentioned. I mean, uh, you may be a mother or a father of young children. So, you know, I understand that. But gathering together weekly for worship is still essential to our spiritual survival. So uh, as we get to the, the, the main theme here, I, I apologize for this main theme this week. I, I, I don't like to have them this long usually, but I uh, really feel like it was essential to include all that I did here. And as usual, it, it's in your bulletins, it's, it's, it's on your sermon notes in your bulletin, so you don't have to write it all down, but, but, but here it is. The main theme of Psalm ninety two that we'll see uh, together here is in order for our faith to persevere when surrounded by evildoers, we must together weekly or, I'm sorry, we must gather together weekly to remind one another of their demise and the Lord's supremacy. In order to for our faith to persevere when surrounded by evildoers, we must gather together weekly. To remind one another of their demise and the Lord's supremacy. The Psalm has three main sections with uh, verse 8 in the middle of the Psalm kind of standing out. Standing out as uh, this the the statement that's above all the other statements. Um, Picture the psalm as a mountain. So we're going to begin to climb up the mountain at verse 1. We're going to make our way up this mountain. And then we're going to arrive at the summit of the mountain when we get to verse 8. So here it is. Here's the big truth. Here is the, the main thing there, verse 8. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. And then we make our way back down the mountain. And we're, we're going back down the mountain. We're kind of seeing some of the similar things as we saw going up the mountain as we head Back down again, and then at the end of the psalm, we have our main application. There we will see the main purpose for what we learned on the mountain, on our climb. How our lives are to be changed from this journey that we had together. So that's how this, this psalm here is structured. Uh, verses 1 through 5 make up the first section focusing on praising the Lord together in our worship gathering, and then in the next section, verses 6 through 11, we see one of the essential things that we are to be reminded of when we gather for worship, that we can't see as well in our day-to-day life, but only from up above, once we get up there and realize the Lord is there, the Lord is on high, the Lord is exalted forever, and, and, and because He is, these things are true. And then finally, in verses 12 through 15, we'll focus on the application of what our gathering together for worship each week will help us to do. So in other words, really what it's all for. So first, verses 1 through 5, praising the Lord together strengthens our joy in him. Verse 1 tells us, it is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is good, it says, to gather together on the Lord's day. It is good to do this in order to give thanks and to sing praises to the Lord and about the Lord. Singing and worshiping the Lord go hand in hand. Singing is, is not the only portion of our service where we actually worship the Lord. No, no, we, we worship the Lord through Out our service through through song, through, through prayer, through giving of our tithes and offerings, through through our listening attentively to his word as it's read and as it's preached. But as verse one says, it is good. And it's good to give thanks and sing praises to the Lord. When we sing praises and offer our thanksgivings through our songs together, we are reminding each other of God's grace, of his mercy of his generosity, of his kindness. Look at verse 2. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. They are declaring God's committed love towards his people and his faithfulness. This is a description, of course, of God's covenant relationship with his people. God had chosen uh, them to, uh, to, 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 to be their God. He had just decided he would bless them. And they had, nothing to, they, they had done nothing to deserve this. You know, they, they, they were not the best people God could have chosen. God just set his love on them out of his grace, and that is what he has done for us as well through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come together, when we come together, we sing about that. And notice that they gather together to worship in the morning and by night. They had a morning service and an evening service. For centuries, that's how Christians worshipped the Lord on the Lord's Day. They'd begin the Lord's Day and worship together, and then they'd end the day in worship together. That's what I experienced in my home church growing up and in most of the churches uh, that I was a part of in college and and, and beyond that. But things change. Uh, You know how it goes. Other things become more important. When we sing, we also declare to one another who God is. And we just sang that, that last song, God is the fount of every blessing. Every good thing that we enjoy comes from him. He's like a fountain, constantly pouring forth blessing after blessing for us. And we remind ourselves of that and honor him with our gratitude when we sing these songs together. It is good for us to do this. Or well, as we might think, oh, all these good things happening to us, yeah, I'm, I'm such a good person. I'm making the right decisions, I'm making the right calls, I'm being with the right people, and that's why it's happening. No, no. It's happening because God is being gracious to you. He's blessing you, and we're reminded of that. As we sing these songs together, as we say these things together to ourselves and to one another. Here's another great admonition from John Calvin. He says, We are called to remember his goodness and faithfulness, which should inflame our hearts to praise God if we have had any proper sense and experience of them. If you have known the Lord's grace, if you have truly experienced it, it should inflame your heart to pour forth these praises together as you gather for worship and will then build up the faith of others. Another sign of the Lord's grace and kindness towards us is that he gave us music. He gave us music. He gave us this gift of song and music to help us to worship him, to help us to bless one another. There is just something about music that lifts our spirits up, that comforts us, that does something that really nothing else can do. It has this this great effect on us. And as we see in verse 3, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, the Bible teaches us to use instruments, stringed instruments in this case, to help us to to sing praises to the Lord. Instruments help us to sing. I know that there are some traditions that believe instruments should not be allowed in worship services, but, but man, do I feel sorry for those folks I mean, I need help to sing. I need the help that instruments like pianos or, or a guitar or, or other instruments, I need the help that they can offer me to help me to sing. And, and that's why I'm so grateful for, for Joyce and for Julie and for Lila who, who help us by, by, by playing this brand new keyboard. Didn't, didn't it sound nice this morning? This brand new keyboard for us to encourage us, to help us to sing. And I want to encourage you, if you enjoy music, if you know how to play an, an instrument, especially the piano, you know, you can maybe serve our church as well and help us to sing. And I'm so grateful for, for David and all of the great singers uh, that we have up here each Sunday morning to, to lead us and helping us to sing. Um, you are truly a blessing to us. And if you like to sing and have a desire to serve us by helping to lead the singing, talk to David. Talk to David. We'd love to have you help us as well. Now, verses 4 and 5 reveal to us again what to fill our songs with, what to praise the Lord primarily for. These are the things that we need to be reminding each other of when we gather for worship. This is what we ought to be talking about with one another when we come together. Look at verses 4 and 5. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord, Your thoughts are very deep. When we gather together, we ought to praise the Lord for all of his works. That is, his works of creation, of what he has made, how he has created everything to to fit together and operate just right, and how it all does. We are to praise the Lord for all of the variety of his creation, all the ways which he has used his creation to feed us, to bless us, to help us, but we don't just praise him for his works in creation, we also uh, praise him for presiding over creation, particularly in providing for us, his people, praising him for his saving works and providing everything that we have needed for life and for our salvation. We can also praise God together for his thoughts, as it says here, for all that God thinks about. Just imagine, all that God thinks about. His great wisdom is unsearchable, as it tells us in Romans 11. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So reminding ourselves of these wonderful things will build, us, will, will, will build up our faith and increase our joy in the Lord. We need to focus on him and his works. Secondly, it's good to be reminded of the inevitability of judgment for the wicked. This is in verses 6 and 11, center part here of our psalm. So the psalmist begins this next section by doing a little name-calling, something that we encourage our children not to do, uh, but there is a reason for why he does it here. He wants to make it clear who he is referring to, and what their main problem is. Look at verses 6 through 8 again. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. In the Old Testament, particularly in wisdom literature, like in the book of Proverbs, the fool, or the stupid man, is a description not for somebody who is a little slow mentally. This is not describing someone with a low IQ. Rather, this is describing someone who doesn't fear the Lord. They're living their lives, doing whatever it is that they want to do, without any consideration of their accountability before God. Remember, the Bible's definition of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. Therefore, the definition of a fool, that is someone who is not wise, is someone who doesn't fear the Lord. And because they do not fear the Lord, these verses tell us a very important thing, that they do not understand That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. I can't believe we're back to having debates with presidential candidates again. Um, It seemed like we had just kind of gotten past those dark days when we had to hear about all the different presidential candidates and hear about the things that uh, you know, this one said, and then that one said this, and this one was saying this again, and then this one's telling that person about that. And, and here we go again. We're all back into the election season again. At least at least one, thankfully, of the most annoying and immature candidates skipped this debate. Now I didn't, I didn't watch the debate. I only heard a few reports about it, but I can tell you one crucial question that didn't get asked and would never be asked, even though it would have revealed right away for us which of those candidates was wise and which is a fool. That would have been if Brit Hume would have asked them, what will become of the wicked? What will happen to those who ignore the Lord and refuse to obey his word? Would any of them have taken that question seriously? It would, have, it would have garnered snickers, laughter, by them and by the audience. They would have said, no way can this be serious, right? What would have been the response of, of, of the moderators and of the audience if one of them had taken that question seriously And said something like we see in verse 7. Well, Brett, uh, though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers seem to flourish in this world, they are doomed to destruction forever. They will face eternal conscious torment, suffering the wrath of God for their sin and rebellion in hell forever. Forever. That is what will happen to all those who ignore God and refuse to take his word seriously. That is the correct answer to that question. But that understanding of divine judgment is thought to be absurd by all of our cultural elites in government, in the news media, and the entertainment media, by those in our leading universities today, those that most people would consider to be the most brilliant and successful people in our country, and yet the Bible would refer to them as stupid, as fools, for they ignore the most important being who is exalted on high forever. And they have no fear of facing him in judgment. We ought not to be amused by this, but humbled. This is a word that should weigh on us with, with gravity. This is a warning as well as an encouragement. The Lord is exalted. The Lord reigns on high forever. There is no one like God. He is supreme. His authority is supreme. We we, we think about the war in Ukraine and we think about Vladimir Putin destroying homes, destroying lives, and seemingly being able to put all of his enemies to death. We think, who will hold this man accountable? Or what about all those wicked men and women involved in human trafficking, enslaving young women, girls, and boys in their sex trade? Who's going to hold them accountable? Or those evil people on the internet? Leading our youth astray, convincing them through social media that they were born in the wrong body, that they would rather, that they would really be much better off if they transitioned into a different gender, and then instructing them how to do that, how to get the right drugs, what to say to their parents. Who will hold them accountable for their wickedness, for what they're doing? Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. If his eye is on the sparrow, then I know he is watching what happens to each person who is hurt, who is mistreated, who is used or killed by evildoers. He knows what they are doing. He will hold them accountable. And he will hold us all accountable. And when we come to gather together for worship every Sunday, coming out of a world that scoffs at God's word and believes that evil is good and that what the Bible calls good is actually evil, it is is so good for us to be reminded that God will hold the wicked accountable. Verse 9. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. When you are in relationship with the Lord, when you belong to Him by your faith and your commitment to follow Him, your enemies become His enemies. That's what we see happening here in these verses. But as verse 8 says, He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is exalted, not us. Therefore, we must trust the Lord with our enemies. We must leave it all in his hands. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The judge of all the earth will surely do what is right. He knows what he is doing. And it's just good for us. It's good for us to be reminded of these things. And the church, the faithful church, is the only place where you will be reminded of these things. That's why we gather together each week. That is why we come. We need to be assured of the truth of God's sovereignty, of his holiness, and of the way of salvation from his wrath through repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his Son. Lastly, verses 12 through 15, now we're on our way down uh, to the uh, bottom of the mountain here. We need to be reminded that the Lord blesses us so that we can proclaim his greatness to others. Verses 12 through 15. So here it is, this is our last, our last section. Uh, we're on uh, the very descent. We've experienced so much on this mountain already as we've gone up and down uh, during our time of worship together. Again, remember what was at the peak of the mountain, that's verse 8. You, O Lord, are on high forever. You are exalted forever. So we have praised him. We have have praised him for his works. We We have seen him glorified in our praises. We have been reminded that he is the one who will hold the wicked accountable. And now we see a contrast between those who fear the Lord and those who don't. We already saw what will become of those who don't fear the Lord. Now here we are shown what will become of those who do fear him, who do trust in his name, who do regularly gather together to draw near to the Lord, to praise him. Look at verses 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The Bible often uses fruitful trees to describe the spiritual health and fruitfulness of those who fear the Lord and who walk in his ways. These verses reflect how the whole book of Psalms opens up for us in Psalm number 1 which also points out this contrast between the righteous and the wicked, uh, those who fear the Lord and those who don't. I think you'll see a lot of uh, uh, things that uh, resemble each other from Psalm 92 and Psalm 1 here. So here's Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, here's the contrast, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So now back to Psalm 92. Here we have these trees. We have the palm tree first, and the palm tree in the Middle East was a tree that produces dates uh, for its fruit, and the dates ripen quickly, and a healthy tree will continue to produce dates throughout the season. They don't just ripen all at once at one certain time like most fruit trees. So it was like these palm trees were always fruitful. You'd always go to them, and there would be a, a, a ripened date for you uh, to enjoy. Then, of course, the, the cedar trees of, of Lebanon here were the trees that Solomon used to build the temple and, and his huge palace. They were strong. They were sturdy trees. They could be dependent upon. And notice where it is, it says, that they flourish, where they are planted. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God, these trees are in the temple. Now, there they weren't literal trees in the temple, but saying here, that's where trees flourish. That's where you will flourish. If you're planted in the Lord, in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God, they're in the place where the presence of the Lord dwelt. They're in the place where the people met for worship. This is saying when God's people are near him, when they are close to him, they will flourish. This is, again, a picture of what happens when believers come together on the Lord's day to worship. These gatherings strengthen us. We come to meet together, and we're meeting with the Lord. These gatherings make us healthy. They fill us with spiritual nourishment so that we will be fruitful, so that we will flourish, so we will be strong and faithful, so that we can go out and serve the Lord in in, in all sorts of ways, the ways he's calling us to serve him in. We will flourish in our spiritual life as we do this. Just as trees need water and good soil and nutrients to grow and bear fruit, so believers need to draw near to the Lord and with his people to be nourished, and that happens when we come together for worship each week. We will flourish and be fruitful when we are near the Lord, and the only way that sinners like us can truly be near the Lord is through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He opened the way for us to be near the Lord, to be in his presence. In First uh, Peter 3.18, we read this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So through Christ's righteous life, fulfilling the law of God for us, and then through His laying down of His life for us on the cross, dying as a substitute, as as if He was a sinner, dying as our place in our, as a substitute suffering God's wrath for us on the cross for our sins instead of us suffering for them, and then rising from the dead, we can now be brought near to God in a saving, life-giving relationship through our trust in Jesus by being found in him. We are reminded of that each week that we come here. And that is why it is so important to come here each week to worship and be reminded that our salvation does not depend upon us but on Christ and on his redeeming work that he finished. And then verse 15 tells us what it is all for. What our singing, what our worship, what our reminding each other of the Lord's great works in creation and in redemption, what it is all for. It's so that we will be able to declare that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So the purpose for coming to worship is not so that you can score points with God. doesn't happen. It's not so that you can fulfill your duty. Well, it's my duty to come to church. I'd much rather sleep in, but it's my duty. i got to get up and fulfill my duty. No, no, no. It's not so that you know, you can put God into your debt for something that he will then do for you. No, no, when you come here each week and participate by faith in the Spirit, you will be blessed. You will be strengthened. You will be encouraged. For the purpose of, so that you can go out and declare the Lord's goodness to others. To declare his strength, to declare his power, to declare his protection and holiness to other people. That's what it says. Declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. It is so that you can testify to others of the Lord's greatness and encourage others to come near to him too. In the same way that you did, through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of gathering together. That is the main purpose. It is to declare these things. And I know, oh, how we need help with this. We need help with this. So that's why we keep coming. Let's keep coming. Let's seek to encourage each other, ask each other questions, hold each other accountable, so that we can grow in this area of openly testifying to others about the greatness, about the holiness and the grace of our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, as we have meditated on this psalm this morning, I pray that it has been beneficial for each of us here. And I pray primarily that uh, you will help us for coming here this morning, for regularly gathering together to worship, you will help us to be proclaimers, be people who declare Your goodness. Declare that you are righteous. That you are strong. You are powerful to save. And there is no unrighteousness in you. You are holy. And we must deal with you. Help us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.